Take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to Psalm 51, the book of Psalms, Psalm 51. Many of you know just by the reference of this psalm that Psalm 51 records King David's penitent prayer of repentance after he sinned against the Lord in many disgraceful ways. And this psalm was penned by David after David's lustful look toward Bathsheba led to him calling for and committing adultery with Bathsheba, which led to Bathsheba conceiving a child, which led to David devising a plan where he could cover up his sin by having Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed, which led to God sending Nathan the prophet to rebuke David for the selfish, rebellious, and devilish acts he committed in the sight of the Lord. And I want to read the entirety of the psalm and then take the psalm by giving you truths regarding confession, repentance, and restoration. Psalm 51. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud all of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. And from the words of David, I wanted to highlight what true confession of sin to God contains by examining three distinct features that David emphasizes through the entirety of this psalm. 
And the first point I want you to take notice of in the psalm is the nature of sin. The nature of sin. And under this point, I want to take careful observation of what sin is and what sin brings about in the life of a Christian. And looking to verses 1 through 4, we find that David recognizes his sin to be an act of rebellion against God. Notice it again. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Take note of that word. Transgressions, meaning a violation against God's law. And then he continues by saying, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And iniquity is synonymous with the word wickedness or vile and gross behavior. And David goes on and says, Cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, my violation against your law, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in the sight of the Lord. Did you catch all that David said? And his coming to the Lord to find forgiveness for sin. He calls sin what it is. And David understands that sin is sin, not a simple mistake. His sin is a willful crime committed against God, not an unfortunate error. His sin is vile behavior, not a cultural tendency. He calls his sin evil, not a common flaw. What David is saying is that the very essence of sin is purposefully Defying God. Sin at its very core is rebelling against the law or the commandment of God. And if we trace sin back to its origin and specifically how it came into the world, Genesis 3, we find that such a definition is consistent with the fall of man. Sin is rebellion Against God's law, God told Adam in the garden, Thou shalt not eat of the tree. And what did Adam do? He ate of the tree, rebelling against God's known commandment. So listen, David in this instance knew that looking with lust at another woman was contrary to God's law and God's ways. David knew that Bathsheba was a married woman. David was aware of the fact that trying to cover his sin by making Uriah drunk and encouraging him to go into Bathsheba, his wife, was unwise and contrary to God's command to do justly. David understood that devising a plan to see that Uriah die was devilish 
yet he did it anyway. In such moments, David did not care what God said, and David did not care what God thought. In such moments, all David cared about was himself. All David cared about was how he could satisfy his own carnal desires. And that's the essence of sin. I will do what I want to do, and no one can stop me, not even God. I will, I will, I will, rather than thy will. That's the essence of sin. Remember, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her. They wanted to gratify their flesh. Sin is purposefully defying the law of God. It is shaking our fist at the Holy One. Let us also recognize under this point that though David in a very real way sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, David admits in this psalm that ultimately his sin was an act of treason against God. So he sees his sin not merely on a horizontal level, but on a vertical level. He has sinned against his Creator. He has sinned against his Savior. So the first truth about true repentance that God wants us to take note of in this psalm is the reality of what sin is. Is And what is sin? Sin is rebellion against God. And then connected with this point, I want you to notice what sin brings about specifically in the life of a believer. And I see three specific things mentioned in this psalm. And the first thing that I see is that sin causes the believer to feel guilty. And guilt causes the believer to feel spiritually dirty. Notice all the references of being clean. Verse 2, David says, wash me. He says, cleanse me. Verse 7, purge me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart. Why is he praying these prayers? Because sin has made him feel dirty. He has a guilty conscience. So this teaches us that sin causes a true believer to feel troubled with himself before God. It causes them to feel morally unclean and polluted before God. So that's point number one. Sin causes the believer to feel guilty. Number two, sin causes the believer to lose their joy and gladness. Sin causes God's people to be miserable. 
Notice it again. David says, verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And then verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He doesn't say restore unto me thy salvation. David did not lose his salvation. He says restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. In his sin he lost his joy. He lost his hope. He lost his peace. And so he's asking God to restore that joy and peace that he once had. You see, in his sin, David was living in darkness and David was a miserable wretch. And so he's asking the Lord in this repentant psalm, in his confession of sin, that God would restore the favor that he once knew. Sin causes the believer to lose their joy and gladness. And then point number three, sin causes the believer to feel distant from God. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, why do you suppose David had to pray such a prayer? He had to pray such a prayer because his sin, his foolish choices pushed God's presence out of his life. It wasn't God who pushed himself away from David. It was David who pushed himself from God. His sin caused his communion with God to grow cold. And we find this principle in Genesis 3, don't we? When Adam rebelled, he went hiding from the presence of the Lord. Jonah went, the Bible says, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. David knew that his sin grieved the spirit and provoked the spirit to withdraw away from David. So Paul says in the New Testament, grieve not the spirit, quench not the spirit. So David here pleads with God to come again. He's missing out on the blessings God has in store for him. David's prayers are not being answered. Why? Because if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. You might as well just speak to the wall. David turns to the word of God, but it doesn't make sense. It's all words on a page. There's no communion because his sin has caused him to feel distant from God. So he pleads very earnestly, that God would visit him with the joy of his presence once again. Sin causes the believer to feel distant from God. So let's review. What is sin? Sin is rebellion against God. What does sin produce in the life of a Christian? Number one, it produces a guilty conscience. Number two, it produces a loss of joy and gladness in the Lord. And then number three, it produces a feeling of distance from the presence of God. 
And this is the nature of sin, which is point number one. The nature of sin. Now turning to point number two, let me give you four truths concerning the elements of true confession and repentance. The elements of true confession and repentance. So the question I'm seeking to answer now is, what does true confession of sin to God contain? What does it contain? Well, God through David teaches us that it contains, number one, true humility. This is subpoint one under the second main heading. True confession, true repentance always contains true humility. Listen, true confession of sin will always include a brokenness before God. A godly sorrow, Paul calls it. That which David describes as a contrite spirit. In our reading of David's words, we find nothing fake, nothing phony in Isaiah 51. There's not a hint of a self-righteous spirit or reluctance to ask God for forgiveness. David is not coming before the Lord saying, well, I guess I should ask God for forgiveness since I got caught. Well, if Nathan the prophet knows my sin, if Nathan wants me to get right with God, then I'll get right with God. No, David is coming before the Lord, listen, feeling the full weight and shame of his sin before God. David wants to be right with God, not later, but now. And this is the first element of true confession. True confession to God will always include true humility. And by the way, proud people never ask God for forgiveness because they don't think they have anything to ask God to forgive. Hence the Pharisees. What were they lacking? True humility. True brokenness. Godly sorrow. Everybody else was wrong. But we're righteous. We're right. And then tied in with true humility is the second subpoint, which is the element of personal ownership of sin. True confession to God will always include a personal ownership of sin. Now from verses 1 through 4, notice the repetitive mentioning of David's ownership of sin. God wants us to catch this one truth. Verse 1, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercy, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do you see the focus? We're not done. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. No less than ten times 
in four verses does David acknowledge that he is the one who has turned away from God. There are no excuses. There are no justifications. And there's nothing mentioned of blaming others or blaming God. David does not say, well, if Bathsheba wasn't bathing as she was, if she was dressed modestly while she was taking a bath, maybe I wouldn't have sinned. David does not say, well, you know, I am human, all humans sin, nobody's perfect. And besides, as a man, I do have certain passions, so of course I lust. God made me this way. David did not respond to Nathan's rebuke by saying, Well, Nathan, I know I messed up, but who are you to tell me my faults? Just look at your own life. How many sins have you committed against God? The attitude David has before God is this. I'm guilty. I did it. I make no excuses. I've played the part of the fool. You see, true repentance to God will always include a personal ownership of sin versus being like the proud Pharisee and saying, well, I pray, I tithe, I fast, I go to church, I read my Bible. I've never murdered anyone never been to jail, so I'm really not that bad. No, true repentance, true confession will always include a personal ownership of sin. And point number three, true repentance to God always includes a turning to the Lord in faith, believing that He alone can and will forgive. Do you see that? We're adding truth upon truth upon truth. And the first statement of this prayer shows us where exactly David runs to for forgiveness. It shows us where David runs to for cleansing. David does not run to the Catholic Church to the confessional booth. David does not run to a priest or a pastor. David doesn't offer up Hail Mary prayers to be right with God. Knowing that he had failed the Lord, David runs to the Lord. And he runs to the Lord because David knows that only God has the power to cleanse him. Only God can make him whole. David knows that through the merits of the coming Messiah, sin can be forgiven. And all these Declarations of wash me and cleanse me and cleansing point to Christ. The one who cleanses through his blood. All the sacrifices of blood point to the Messiah who's coming. Did David believe on Christ? Absolutely. 
Now, he did not know the fullness of the person of Christ like we do, but he knew that one would come, Genesis 3, who would crush the head of Satan. One would come as a covering, just as Adam and Eve were clothed of skins by God. He knew that. Through the Messiah, he could be cleansed. So he runs to God, confessing and repenting because he knows that the one that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh sin shall have mercy. True repentance to God always includes a turning back to the Lord in faith, believing that only He has the power and the ability to cleanse us of sin. And then sub-point number four. True confession to God will always include a sincere desire for the heart to be right with God. It will include a desire for the heart to be right with God. Now notice the mentioning of the inward man. Notice the mentioning of the heart in the text. Verse 6. David says, Behold, speaking to God, thou desirest truth where? In the inward parts. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And what I want you to recognize from these verses is the source of David's sin. What's the source of David's sin? I repeat the phrase often. The heart of all problems is the problem of the heart. Jesus says, for out of the heart... Proceed, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Now I want you to notice something very important that's said in verse 16. Verse 16, take careful observation of the fact that David does not depend upon his outward activities to make him right with God. His dependence is not upon his own reformation. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. In other words, David is saying, Lord, I I have sinned and I would offer sacrifice to atone for my sin, but that's not what you require of me. What you require of me is, verse 17, a broken and contrite spirit. What you require is that my heart get right with you once again. Because when the heart is right, the habits will follow. You see that? And this brings us back to a point that we looked at last week in Psalm 50. God is more interested in our sincere love and obedience to Him more than our outward religious performances. So when we sin, the answer is not, well, I just need to read my Bible more. 
When we sin, the thing that is needed in our life is not, I just need to pray more. I need to go to church more. I need to be nicer to other people. I need to give more money in the offering plate. That's not the answer. If God wanted sacrifice, he would say, give me sacrifice. But what does God want? God wants our heart to be right with him. Listen, you can give your body to be burned, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 13. But if your heart is not filled with charity toward God and others, your faith means nothing. So the answer is to get the heart right with God. And when the heart is right with God, everything else will follow. David's heart was not in tune with the will of God. And so hold this up to people's lives. Why do they behave the way they behave, even professing Christians? And what is their solution? Give them the right medication. What do they need? They need to get their heart right with God. And when their heart is right with God, everything else will follow. They will desire to commune with God in prayer. They will love others as they should. They, they will have a delight in the Lord's day with the Lord's people in public worship. They will. But the problem is something's wrong with their heart. Well, their heart is not right. And they're trying to make up for it with religious performances. Again, that's the Pharisees. That's the Pharisees. They profess God with their mouth, but their heart is not right with God. And to make up for it, they're going to continue on in their rituals. So these are the four elements of true confession and repentance. What does true confession of sin to God contain? It contains, number one, true humility. It contains a personal ownership of sin. It contains a turning to God in faith, knowing that He can and will forgive. And it contains a desire for our hearts to be right with Him. And then the third main feature of the psalm, briefly highlighted, but underscored more clearly in 2 Samuel 12, 13, is the blessing of restoration with God. The blessing of restoration with God. So after Nathan confronts David with his sin and the consequences of David's sin that David will live with, in 2 Samuel 12, 13, we read these words. And David said unto Nathan, after Nathan rebuked David. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. And here in this psalm, Psalm 51, we find David confident in the fact that once God forgives him, then he will be usable to the Lord as he once was. Verses 12 and 13. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Notice the next word. Then, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. It's only till after I confess my sin and get right with God, that I will do God's work in a right way and people will benefit from it. So what does this psalm teach us about confession and repentance of sin? 
It teaches us the same truth that the Apostle John emphasizes in 1 John 1.9. Here it is. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 51 and 1 John 1.9 are one and the same. It's the same message. Now this does not mean that the consequences of our sin will completely disappear. Oftentimes they do not. But this does mean that God in His grace does not hold our sins over our heads and God in His mercy allows us to walk with Him as we once did when we turn to Him in true repentance. It does mean that. David had to deal with the consequences of his sin the rest of his life, but he was able to walk with his shepherd as he once did. Sin may cause us to lose our joy and peace for a time, but if we repent, if we turn away from that sin, if we truly confess it, which means to agree with God that it's evil, if we repent and confess our sins, Our joy in the Lord can be restored. It can. And this is the focus of the psalm. The focus of the psalm is the message of the gospel, which is where sin abounds, God's grace does much more abound. Hallelujah. Though we fail, though we stray, though we make a mess of things, God invites us to come to Him so that our sins might be washed away. This is the message of Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But you must come. You must confess. You must repent. This is the message of Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And in his returning to the Lord, the Lord will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So personalizing this psalm to our hearts tonight, let me ask you, Is there some unconfessed sin in your life tonight? Has some sin brought you to a place of despair and misery? If so, what's keeping you back from turning to the Lord right now with true confession and true repentance? Why continue in your misery when God offers you mercy? Why continue in your guilt when God offers you grace? Oh, I pray that the penitent words of David given in Psalm 51 would move our hearts to marvel once again of the forgiving love that God offers to others, especially His children. May the goodness of God continually lead us to repentance.